Good morning again. It's great to see everyone here. And we are in Hebrews 5.11, and we're going to cross over into chapter 6 too. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapters 5.11 uh, through 6.3. So you go to Hebrews 5.11, and I am going to read. Now, <clears throat> before we get to that, let's remember that last week we, we talked about the calling of of Moses, the calling of Aaron, I'm sorry, and also the calling of Christ, and those were compared. And we talked about calling, on how important our calling is to God, but not only how important our calling is to God, but how important it is that when we execute our calling, we follow the model that Jesus had, had given us in what he did, and how he was faithful to the Father. He emptied himself. And his very, very first calling was to do what the Father asked and sent him to do. And that's our very first calling as well. But of course, our poor writer of Hebrews is having so much trouble with this, uh, with his ability to communicate the importance of the urgency of them clinging to Christ in this new age and not letting go of the old, but putting it in its proper place and seeing how it connects and points to Christ. And so he starts to go into rebuke mode again for a little bit here, and then it doesn't get much better next week. He continues uh, in a, a more of a rebuke mode, but today I'm, I believe, even though this is um, a difficult passage to, ta to tackle and to think about, it's also, I believe, something of great potential. Because if we follow the, the pattern that God lays out in this passage as it relates to following him, which I would like to call the spiritual discipline required in order to follow him, then I think it will bless us and also put us exactly in the path of Christ's will for our life. Even though we may not understand exactly where he wants us to go, we know that where we are and where we will be now and therefore every day after, God is going to work it out according to his good pleasure. And so 5.11, it says, <clears throat> concerning him, and he's talking about Melchizedek, because remember right at the end of this, he said that Jesus is uh, designated a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And uh, he, he also will talk more about that in chapter 7. And so chapter 5, verse 11, pay attention here real quick because this can get confusing, all the way to the end of chapter 6 is a sort of, um, not an inserted text, but it's sort of a side note for Paul, <laughs> for the writer of, of Hebrews. And he sort of talks about this high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, then covers everything from 5.11 through chapter 6, and ends chapter 6 again with Jesus being the high priest according to Melchizedek. And then in chapter 7, he talks all about Melchizedek. So this is a very important passage. This passage we're going to cover today, all through chapter 6, because the writer stuck it in between his explanation of one of the most difficult topics in all of Scripture. And that is, who's this Melchizedek guy? And he's saying, look, I want to teach you who this guy is, but... You guys are slow to learn. You're dull of hearing. And he says in verse 11, concerning this Melchizedek, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull 
of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And now we're in chapter 6. Again, these chapter markers weren't in the original manuscripts. Therefore, verse 1, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. See how he's paralleling again. The leaving the element, he's talking about the elementary principles of the oracles of God, the Old Testament, and now he's saying the oracles and the elementary principles of Christ. <clears throat> Let us then leave those elementary principles and press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so we're going to stop there because I see this is a isolated, partially isolated section before he gets in to verse four. So <clears throat> spiritual discipline. I don't know about you, but when I first entered into the seriousness of being in business Years ago, one of the first things I remember is the definition of discipline that one of our, my sales directors gave me. And that is, discipline is doing the things you need to do when you need to do them, even when you don't feel like it. And that always stuck with me for 30 years. I got to be disciplined I got to be disciplined in my, in my marriage. I got to do the things in my marriage that I don't want to do, but I got to do them anyway, even though I don't feel like it sometimes. And those of you that never felt that way lie about other things too. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel like going to work. You don't feel like dealing with your boss, but you're disciplined. You don't feel like going to the gym, but you're disciplined. You don't feel like... Uh, you know, dieting today, but you're disciplined, right? You don't have that extra whatever it is. This is also how it applies to the spiritual realm as well. We have to have spiritual discipline as Christians. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm at war against anything that says opposite of that. And the reason why is because the Christian life isn't just about floating around in the spirit and God just leading us wherever it is. And you know what? I know about Jesus and that's okay. That's not what God wants. No, the Christian life is hard work. There, I said it. It's hard work because it's discipline to put the, bar the, 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 the principles down that we must do that goes with the commitment we made when we said we're Christians. So again, it's not we do these things to become Christian. No. But once we enter into the organization, we now have to follow the rules of that organization. As secular and as, as uh, unholy as that may sound, in it, as an example. 
But it's the truth. We enter into Christianity, and it's not just, wow, I'm a free-for-all, I can do whatever I want because I'm covered from the blood of Christ. There are spiritual disciplines that need to be put into place. And I think here is the frustration of the author. He wants these people to be disciplined spiritually, but they're not. He says that they are dull of hearing. What does dull of hearing mean? Dull of hearing, right? It's like if my young son was sitting here and oftentimes I'll do things like this to him. I'll get like a little tiny toothpick and put it in my finger and I'll just, I'll just keep a little point out and just sort of poke him in the leg. And he jumps, you know. It's just one of those things fathers do to torture their little kids. And uh, I like doing that stuff, right? But one time, you know, I got a pen and, and I poked him with a pen. It just doesn't even hurt, you know. It doesn't even hurt, you know, because a pen has what? A round point. It's dull. It's not really a point. It doesn't make him jump. It doesn't make him move like that sharp toothpick does. Well, this writer is preaching the, the, the sharpness of God's word, the two-edged sword, and they're dull of hearing it. It's not affecting them anymore. They've drifted. They're neglecting. And boy, does he have a problem because he has to take this study up to a level that he's unsure of if they're really ready to do it. And so they become dull. It says here in verses 5.12, it says that by this time they, have, they ought to be teachers. Now, this doesn't mean that they all ought to be ordained preachers, pastors. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that they're not all should be called to be a teacher in the church of God. But he's saying that all of you should be smart enough in the Christian faith now because you know the Old Testament so well. You should not be dull of hearing. You should be beyond that so much so that you should be able to bring in a younger and more immature believer and teach them about how to be a Christian. But you're not able to do that. You have someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Now again, when you see the word elementary or elements in the Bible, very rarely does it actually refer to material things. You see elements and the elementary principles, it's usually always either talking about A, the beginnings of a certain teaching, or B, the actual teaching of the law, the elementary principles. And we see that throughout some of the other books of the New Testament. Here, the writer is using it very specifically. He says the elementary principles of the oracles of God. So we know that they had to know the Old Testament. My question to you is, do you know the Old Testament? Have you read the Old Testament? Do you understand the Old Testament? I'm not saying, do you, you know, know the depths of all the laws and the sacrifices, but do you have an idea of what that Old Testament means? Because the Old Testament and the New Testament are one's more important than the other. They are one. It's the same God, the same word, but it's different application. The New Testament is the new covenant. The Old Testament, Testament and covenant can be used interchangeably, is the old covenant that God said that he was going to replace with the new. So the new is here, 
but they're not able to get it because they don't know the basic foundations. And that's why it's so important to have that systematic reading of, of the word of God. He's saying to them, here, you guys have been Christians so long. You've been Christians, I don't know, however many years. And you are asking about these things. Instead, instead of me going on to greater things, I should really go and teach you Christianity 101. Now, how does he emphasize this? In 12 and 13, he uses the word milk. Milk. And there's other uses of the word milk in the New Testament, but it says that he's come to, they've come to need milk and not solid food. And we all instantly get the picture here. A baby has to drink milk. Peter uses it in a different term. He says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That you may grow from the milk. Talking to a different audience. Sometimes we need milk. But I don't know about you, would it freak you out if you saw some adult still nursing with his mother? You would think that is weird. And I'm not picking on people that nurse their kids until they're, you know, in that older age, whatever. I'm not going there. But I am saying that that would be just as ridiculous as a Christian who's, who's supposed to be a mature believer. And that's what he's causing, calling them out on. He says, you're still nursing on your mother. You need to be beyond that. But why don't they move on to it? The diet of that, of that milk grows old and actually is unhealthy after the infant stage. The body, as the child grows, he needs more nutrients. He needs more and a variety of things as his body's growing and getting taken up to that next level. And if it's not there, that growth could be stunted. Milk is always before solid food. So you, we here in this church... I don't know every single person's level of where they would consider themselves. Do you consider yourself in milk stage? Okay, it's okay if you do, because maybe you're just starting out to learn the things of God, and you're on the milk, that's good, but you need to move off of the milk eventually. And I don't mean chocolate milk or protein shakes. I mean solid food. What does that equal with? Maturity. Solid food is equal with maturity in the faith. And so just like an infant, what happens if you, if you feed that infant solid food before they're able to chew, you know what's going to happen. He's going to choke and potentially even die, as tragic as that may sound. So he's telling them here, I, it's a risk for me to give you this solid food. Because as soon as I bring out this entree of deep theological thought and meaning and truth, you may run from it. I can't swallow that. I can't chew that. I don't even want to go there and see what that looks like. And we often get that way when it comes to going deeper with the Lord. And that is uh, the disease in American Christianity. The disease of I'm okay with Jesus I'm okay, I know Jesus, that's enough. I'm not talking about salvation. You're okay with Jesus with salvation. But I'm talking about after you're saved, it's not okay for you just to stay still. 
because there's no such thing. You're going backwards. You're drifting. If you're going, staying still. You need to always be moving in the word, in the power of the spirit. <clears throat> and so once you learn how to chew, it will take practice, but then you will know how to chew every morsel of the word, to squeeze out every truth of the word. But in order to get there, you have to step out of your comfort zone and get into that solid food. Notice what he says about how to do this. Look at 14. Solid food is for the mature. Why? What have they done? They've just sat around and just ended up eating solid food? No. They ate solid food because they practiced their senses. They practiced, have, uh, I'm sorry, because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. You know what that word trained means in the Greek? Gymnazo. It's a good name for a gym if you want to order, uh, open one up around here. The gymnazo, gymnazo. It means to rigorously train. Rigorously train. Can you exercise just once in a while? I'm just going to work out once in a while. You can. If you like it just to re for recreational purposes, it's good. But if you are trying to achieve a goal from a fitness perspective, you need a a regular routine that you do all the time. Otherwise, you get in what I like to call the junk exercise mode, the ease your conscience exercise mode. Or better yet, now you could just walk into the gym and take a, you know, a selfie and then just walk out and say, hey, I, I worked out, you know what I mean? And so that's the funny thing, but that's exactly what a lot of people do. Why? Because they're not training themselves, they're not training at all, really. We're going through the motions, and that doesn't work. He wants us to gymnazo, to exercise rigorously our senses. And our senses is just simply meaning the faculty of our mind for perceiving and understanding and judging. We have to practice this in the Word of God in order to become mature. You're not just going to become mature just by having the Holy Spirit in you and you doing nothing, you receiving nothing. As a matter of fact, that spirit will be quenched as you do nothing. Because atrophy happens spiritually as well as physically. So, what does this all mean? In order for us to get to that level, we have just determined that we need to practice, train rigorously. We have to make sure that we're willing to take that step into the meat and away from that. And guess what we call that type of person in Christianity? A disciple. That's what we call them. A disciple. You are not, you cannot be a Christian without being a disciple. You can't. Doesn't work. Because a, Jesus said it, which I'll get to. But a disciple of Jesus is what he called us to make is disciples. He didn't say go out and just preach the gospel and that's it. Just, you know, there's a place for that, let's say, maybe in evangelism. But to take nations, groups of people, the, the, the different ethnos is what the word means. All the lands, all the different people groups. In order for us to do that, we have to teach them 
more than just Jesus saved you by his blood. Because otherwise they may fall away or they may not take root or they may end up just thinking that's all there is. You need to be a pupil, a student, or as the, the word actually means, a learner. No, but Pat, you know, I'm all right. I mean, I know the basics. You know what I mean? I'm good. I know I received Jesus. I know that I'm saved and uh, I'm good. You know, I read, I read my devotional and, and, and that's it. But listen to what Jesus said. This is scary. A disciple, Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. So do you think that Jesus had to come and learn perfect obedience through suffering to be able to, to say that he experienced fully that human condition? He had to learn that obedience through suffering. Do you think we are going to, to get it any easier? Absolutely not. That's one of the things Jesus did was to become that model for us to walk with God and to build for that kingdom. If Jesus learned from the Father, how much more are we to learn from Christ as a discipler? You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not be learning from a discipler. You see, these readers were still on milk, but they were capable of knowing and taking it deeper. Paul knew that. The writer knew that. Keep saying Paul. Ray's going to tell me that after service. I don't know who wrote this book. I believe it was Paul, but that's why I keep slipping into it. It's a very controversial subject, apparently, but to me, I think it was Paul. And today you're going to hear a little bit of evidence for that. Just as a side note. But the readers were still on milk. They were capable... Okay, and so even though they were maybe not able to do it, the writer doesn't say, well, now I'm not going to tell you. He does tell them. He, he, he now is about to move on or encourage them to move on from these elementary principles and give them a more complex discussion. But that's where we have to be in order for us to grasp this and learn from this. This is what we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to move on to more complex things of the faith. And this is one of the reasons why we teach in this church the Word of God verse by verse. And the reason is, is because it's not, it, it's, it's not going to be what I or Kevin or anyone other, other leaders wants to, to, for us to start teaching the church so that we can get them to believe like we do and all these. No, it's let's go to the Word of God Let's exegete this word, meaning let's squeeze all the truth out of it as we can, and then let's see how it applies to our life. You know, that's what we need to learn how to do. And, and you can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the people that God has put around you that, um, that care about you and that are believers. And so we will move forward. I like six, verse 6, 3 here says, the very last verse in our passage, it says, and this we will do if God permits. That's the literal translation. The New Living Translation, I think, does a good job in terms of um, transliterating it. And that is, so, and so God willing, we will move forward, excuse me, to further understanding. So he wants them to move forward of further understanding. Of what? The elementary principles, not necessarily the oracles of God, but the elementary principles of Christ. 
And that's what he tells them here. People, I want you to leave the basics. What are some of the basics in our culture here? I mean, we have all the Christian lingo down, right? I received Jesus as my Savior. Okay, um, God, uh, I talk to God every day. I know God. He knows me. God knows my heart. You know, I believe that Jesus died. He rose from the dead. That's great. And what about, have you, what are you reading right now? Well, I haven't been reading too much lately. No, I mean in the Bible. Well, I, I haven't really been reading the Bible lately. I mean, I'll, I'll pick up, you know, I have this little text that sends me, uh, this thing that sends me a text with a scripture, and I read that, and I say, great. But as a, as a, as a, 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 a gymnazo, as somebody that's training to be a disciple, that's nothing, it's absolutely, I'm not trying to bind your conscience and make you guilty, but I'm just telling you that's nothing. It's not a, a prescription for growth in the Lord through maturity. You need to take this seriously. And how does it mean go beyond the go beyond these pairs that he's talking about? So this isn't like a, this could have been like an early model for catechism. I don't know, but it says here, like, let's press on to maturity, not laying again. And you see the pairs here, they sort of go together. A foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith to God. We know that, right? Does anybody here know? Don't know what repentance means? It means turning from your sin and turning to God in faith. Away from your dead works. It also says instructions about washing. Some translations say baptism. I don't don't agree with that translation. It's not. um, This word here is baptism baptismos and every other word in the new testament that says baptism or refers to it as baptizo so this just means various washings of kind could be some of the washings they had carried over from the old testament it could have been uh some of the things and the rituals they were doing during their church service i have no idea but they're basically saying these are basic principles let's move on washings laying of hands maybe washing feet resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. You know, he doesn't say anything about going to heaven here. Talks about resurrection and eternal judgment. It's about, we, we move from this, but they say this because this is another thing that we hear in Christianity. I'm going to heaven, I'm good. I know I got my ticket. And that is wrong. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a way of life after you believe. The gospel is a dead person becoming alive. The gospel is somebody that, the, no, someone that has the gospel is in love with Christ because of not only what he did, but because of how ridiculously disgusting your sins were, and he forgave you. You love Jesus for that. You cling to the cross. Oh, the blessed rugged cross. Thorns in my face and thorns in my chest and thorns in my arms. I'm carrying it. I am never leaving this for that ever again. That should be part of your experience as a Christian. Now, you may not be a, an emotional person, or you might not be an extrovert. You may be an introvert. You may be this. You get it. I'm trying to say that you have to be impacted by Christ. And this is what he's trying to say. Move on from these elementary principles. And now is the time. Today, today, today is time for them to do this. And so I was, I'm going to stop there as far as some exposition, but now I want to go into some application of this. 
Because how now? How do we become this disciple? What does the Bible tell us to be these, to, 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 to uh, fulfill our obligations of discipleship? Well, I think I've said the first one pretty clearly. We need to take Jesus Christ seriously and we need to take the study of Jesus Christ just as seriously. Our personal study of Christ should be serious. It should be through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. It should be systematic. Learning about Jesus should be our top priority. But what do we do? We say we know Jesus. We know about Jesus. We know as enough as we need to know. I'll, I'll get all the other information when I go to heaven. Or I'll wait for the pastor to preach on it. No. This is just the, this is just the structure of God's church. Yes, we're worshiping the Lord right now through this preaching. We're worshiping the Lord through the singing, the translating, the giving, the praying. This is worship. This is worship. You're learning because we're exposing the word. However, this is only the beginning. This is just the tip. You need to go deep and deep and deep. Staying in the place too long, you'll drift and you will atrophy. It's crazy because, you know, we see people, uh, like we have brilliant people here in our church, and we see them all over the place, men and women who are just brilliant people. Some are doctors, some are nurses, you know, some speak 20 languages, <laughs> you know, some do all these other things. And these people, you know, and it goes on beyond, beyond, right? Artists, great people that learn their craft. They study it. They know the history of it. They'll argue the smallest points about it with you. They read the fancy magazines, the websites. They knew all that stuff. They may build computer programs. Who knows? Uh, but when it comes to Jesus, I'm okay. I know enough. See, we can't stay in that position. God's given you a mind for the sole purpose of knowing him. Everything else flows from that. Realize that. Your mind is not given to you so you can prioritize your life, make money, live, raise a family, do all that. No, your mind is given to you to be able, with all the faculties and senses of your mind, to worship and experience God. And then from there, all those other things flow. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to be afraid to learn more about Christ. I was very afraid, especially during my study of God's sovereignty and it was a very big struggle. For me, it was 2008, and I was trying to figure out how God's sovereignty and how man's responsibility can both be true in the Bible, yet not contradictory. And that was, a, that was something that I stayed away from a long time because I didn't want to dig into that and find something that I didn't like that would scare me away from God. Or I'm going to hear, I'm going to learn something and then I'm going to be questioned on it and I'm not going to be able to explain it. But I really believe it, right? We get afraid of going deep. We like to shout, we like to be in the shallow waters. And so I think that some are secretly afraid to do that. And that's a lie from the devil because God gave teachers and God gave other believers gifts to teach each other. That's what we're here for, to build each other up, sharpen each other up, build each other up. So God never wants us to be afraid to learn more about him. There's nothing you're going to find that's going to scare you away. 
There's nothing that's going to find that's going to be initially it may be confusing and contradictory, but I, I guarantee you somebody will be able to answer that question for you. Go deeper. The beautiful thing about this is your faith will be challenged, but you will grow. You will grow in your faith. You'll be more confident in your faith. You'll be able to de defend your faith. So that's the first thing is to get your take serious, the study of Jesus serious. Okay. Now, second, create a plan. This is so important. Like none of this happens by accident. Nothing. Whoever you are in this room, whatever uh, accomplishments you've had in your life, you did not happen by accident. Okay. From the very beginning, from you exiting the womb to taking your first steps, it wasn't an accident. It was practice. Getting to learn language, practice, 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 but it was all planned out when you do it. You plan things out. God planned out and took care of it, and then he gives it to us to learn, and he works in us and through us. So create a plan of learning or expand your plan of learning and implement it immediately. Don't wait. Implement it today. Tonight, tomorrow morning, immediately when you get the next opportunity that you have. Decide today you're going to become that the, a, more of a learner, more of a disciple. And, and the Bible study is crucial. I mean, it's the number one thing. It's all the foundation of the Word of God. Start here. You should be reading the Bible systematically. It's not easy. But if you prioritize it, you will do it. If you go to our website, faithfreehold.org, forward slash, all lowercase, Bible-study. So faithfreehold.org slash Bible-study. You can see a whole thing, a whole page of resources on how to study the Bible there. There's a video. There's all sorts of reading plans. There's all sorts of ways to study it chronologically and to understand it. What's going on in the history? What's going on behind this? Use that. And obviously there, there's Haley's Bible Commentary, which I recommend everybody gets. It's a summary of every chapter in the Bible. So before you read the Bible, you can get that summary. Or after you read it, you go to that summary. This is taking it deeper, becoming a disciple. <clears throat> Another great thing is that if you want to study the Bible, doctrine. Doctrine is what the whole Bible says about a specific subject. So the doctrine of salvation. You know what? I'm going to study this. And so you study that doctrine through the whole scripture. How, do people, how does God rescue his people? Go a little deeper, okay? Some other things that I just thought of, you know, studying about faith. Like, what is faith? Like, really, what is it? Is it a work when I believe? No. What is the gospel really about? How does the Christian story make sense? Can you explain these things if I were to ask you? What's the difference between the Old and New Testament? And then what are the books of the Bible? This is a hard one. I know that's something that I thought I knew until I went to seminary and, or, um, or I went to get ordained uh, to preach. And part of the, uh, the exam was all the books of the Bible. And I messed up on a few of them and I was embarrassed. thought I knew it all. I messed up on the minor prophets, okay? Don't judge me. I wasn't messing up on the Gospels or anything like that, but you know, I think I forgot Nahum or something like that. It doesn't matter anyway, but just kidding. 
But learn the books of the Bible. Make up a jingle. I don't know. I asked, I told you about, I don't know, some of you, I told my son, he was, he was coming in my office. I was prepping, you know, doing, I'm like, you got to go. You, you, Dad, but I want to show you this. I said, all right, listen. It's my son, Ezra. I said, why don't you, you do this? Uh, oh, he was asking me for money. That's right. $5, go ahead, $5. I said, I'll give you $5 today if you can memorize all the books of the Bible. And me, I'm thinking he's out. So he goes, seriously? And I'm like, yeah, why? And then he starts this song and he sings the whole the books of the Bible. Can you do that? Can I, can I give you guys the song? We need to learn the books of the Bible. And I lost five bucks, but that was worth it. Tell you, I'll tell you right now, here my son know all the books of the Bible. There's lots, lots of things, you know. When I was younger, uh, uh, a newer Christian, somebody said, know all the books of the Bible and then take books and know what each, each chapter is about. So you know that John chapter 1 is about, you know, the Word made flesh. And John chapter uh, 2 is the wedding of Cana. And, and, and John chapter 3 is, you know, Nicodemus and born again. And you learn these things. Just one sentence of what chapter. So when somebody says something, you can go, oh yeah, I know where that's at. It's in John chapter 4 or, or Hebrew, whatever it is. These are just some practical things. And now I don't understand why people don't come to Sunday school. I don't have Sunday Bible study. <laughs> Not everything's the word of God up here, okay? God would never have Sunday school. No, I'm joking. Why don't we come to that? I don't understand. Um, actually, I do understand, but if you want to be a disciple and you want to take it up the next level, I would not understand. Because that's a time where that's an organized group study. We're going through Timothy. We're going deep. We're having good discussions. And if you don't do it here... Get into a Bible study somewhere, okay? We have it all the time here. We have Sunday morning Bible study. We have Tuesday house of prayer and devotional. We have Wednesday Bible study review of the sermon. We have Thursday men's, women's, youth group Bible study. There's a lot of opportunities here. Get into a study. I say go to church on Sunday. Get into one study during the week. One, and read one book about Jesus. One book at a time. Assist a theology book. Don't get something cheesy and easy, okay? Go deep. Go deep. Become that disciple. Share your faith. That's another way to do it. And finally, disciple people. Ah, see... You gotta be a you gotta get discipled, but your goal to get discipled isn't just to learn the Bible. The goal to get discipled is to disciple others. And I see a lot of mature Christians in this room. Who are you discipling? Who have you taken under your wing? Well, Pat, I don't I don't know. I don't feel weird. I don't have a lot of time. I don't know. Discipling isn't like, well, I'm going to get together here. We're gonna it could be whatever you want it to be. But you need to meet and you need to talk about the word. Okay? And I would do it systematically. Take a subject. Take a book with somebody. If you're, if you're somebody here that's been a Christian, you should for more than a year, you should be discipling somebody. And if you've only been a new Christian for a year, then you need to be discipling a person that's been a Christian for a month. And tell them your testimony. And meet up with them. And try to answer his questions or her questions. And the questions you don't know, you write down. And you bring them here. And, and you ask people. And you, you do it. Every, there's no excuse. We should all be discipling someone. And if you don't know who to disciple, and you want to disciple someone, come to me and tell me. 
Pat, I, I would be willing once or twice a month to meet with someone. Great. I'll put you, I'll hold your name. I'll talk to Kevin. I'll call the other leaders. And you know what? There'll be people. God will bring somebody for your disciple. You know? And you don't have to say, hey, I want to disciple you. You know, that'll be weird. All right? Don't do that. Okay? Just say, hey, you know what? Let's get together. Let's go have a slice of pizza. Let's meet once in a while. Tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about your struggles. Tell me what, what, what's going on with, uh, you know, your reading, your, your, your praying. And really, oh, let me share you my struggles. Let me share you what I've done. That's it. That's a start. I think we need to be doing that. So be a discipler. Find someone because Jesus demands commitment, full commitment to the discipleship motif and model. And that is be a disciple but first, I'm, I'm sorry, be a disciple and disciple others. So just to summarize, we have to treat this study of Jesus urgently and seriously. This is what the Hebrews were not doing. They were dull of hearing. They were clinging to the old. They were clinging to all those other things. All those things in the Old Testament that they were so disciplined on, but they couldn't give that time and effort to pay attention to Christ. Put him first as it relates to studying Treat it seriously. Create a plan to become mature in your faith. Regardless of how many PhDs you have or how young you are, continue to learn and learn and learn and implement that immediately. And finally, get discipled, be discipled, and let's just watch what the Lord will do. Now, there's one thing that I would like also to talk about, but we'll leave that to next week, and that is the false disciples. So read the next section, read the remainder, read all chapter six, and we'll continue there next week. So now I would like to uh, ask um, everybody to just focus on what I'm about to say about the Lord's Supper, because that's what we're going to do now. We're going to celebrate this uh, period of time where we not only remember what Jesus did, because that's what he said. He goes, do this in remembrance of me. He took some bread. After blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. This is Matthew 26, 26 to 28. He said, take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken um, the cup and given thanks, he gave it to him and said, drink from it. All This is, this is for you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus is, is telling them, to take this time when you gather together and by partaking of the bread and the wine, you, what you're ultimately doing is you're remembering me, thinking back, remembering me, instead of what you used to do on this day, which was the Passover. Don't think back anymore necessarily to the Passover as it relates to eating the physical lamb, that Passover pure, spotless lamb, but receive me spiritually and think back and remember. And good, guess what? Good, what's going to happen is you're going to receive me spiritually and that's going to fuel you for the work that I have for you in the future. And so it's looking back to that Passover and that rescue of God by the Passover blood. If you know the story, the Egyptians were inside uh, in bondage in Egypt and God delivered them and and he 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 did 10 uh, 10 plagues and the final plague of the Egyptians 
was death of the firstborn. All the firstborn cattle, and even up to Pharaoh's firstborn. And, and he struck the land, but he didn't strike the camp of the Israelites because they had the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And so this is the context of this meal. Thinking back, instead of the Passover, thinking back to that and anticipating and waiting for God to do it again. It's thinking back. Now Jesus is that, that lamb. We're remembering him, his body, his blood. That's the true uh, covering of sins. And it's also the true fuel for us to move forward and look forward to what that does for us in terms of his coming again. While we're here on this earth, God has given us the grace of the Lord's Supper to remember him and to honor him and also to fuel us to move forward. Now, there's also something called fencing the table, putting a fence around it. And, and really what that means is, is that this is, is something that is important. This is something that's a command of Christ. And, and, and ultimately, this is someone for Christians. This is something for Christians. And it's also something that each person here must judge themselves on whether they can partake or not. Now, there's two sides to that coin. It's up to you. Take it with the right heart before the Lord. That's the key. Maybe this is going to be a purging for you. Maybe you are going to come to God right now as we're passing out these elements and you're going to make yourself right with the Lord. You're going to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Make me new. Let this be a representation of, of, of you and me as a fresh new start. Or maybe you got stuff going on and you're not at that point yet. And then you could pass. Because there's a warning. This, you shouldn't just eat this uh, with the wrong heart because there can be judgment incurred. So you could either come, if you have that heart right now, enjoy and partake, and if, or you could pass and you won't be judged because of that. So as we pass out these elements, I'd like to ask Kevin if he could come up and, and play the piano, and I'd like to ask Hubert to come on up. And uh, as we pass out these elements, contemplate what it is that Jesus has done for you. The power of his blood. Okay, the, the, the sacrifice that he made with his body. All because of his love for you. So we're going to pass out both elements. We'll hold off until we come back up and then we'll partake together on both of them.
So I'll read Matthew 26, 26 to 28. This is in the context of what we were just talking about. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake. When he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake of the wine. Father, as we partake of this commandment, Lord, that you've given us to take this bread and wine, let it just impress it on our hearts, Lord. Um, not only today, but this whole week, Lord, on what it truly means uh, for us to receive you and to walk in your ways with the hope of what your body and blood did, not only for each of us, Lord, but for for the world and for your kingdom. So go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.